0: Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Sword of Fire and the Rocketeers Have Shaggy Ears. The Ultimate Adventures in Space Forget Star Wars Star Trek Ho-Hum This Planets of Adventure audiobook includes two complete book-length novels of space adventure from the supreme exemplar of highly charged, vividly colored space opera, the legendary pulp Planet Stories. Fasten your seatbelt for atomic-powered thrills, alien landscapes, daring heroes, intrepid heroines, and fiendish villainesses. Hear from the 1940s. The Sword of Fire a novel of an enslaved world by Emmett McDowell. He was a plain ordinary Jones, so his spaceman father named him Jupiter, hoping it would help him stand out. But he remained a plain ordinary Jones, until the spacewarp cast him, naked and helpless, into the slime of that vile world. Then Jupiter Jones cursed the fate that had marooned him among the planet's groveling mutants, He only wanted to escape, but the mutants' rising excited whispers proclaimed him a knight in shining armor who alone could save them, and the strange sword he'd found was, they said, the one weapon that could prevail against the vicious octopoids who enslaved them. The Rocketeers Have Shaggy Ears, a novel of peril on alien worlds, by Keith Bennett. Their fighting song was known from Terra's hinterlands to Ganymede's glittering domes. Oh, the rocketeers have shaggy ears. They're dirty sons of space. Someday there will be a legend like this. Some day, from steamy Venus or arid Mars, the shaking, awestruck words will come whispering back to us, building the picture of a glory so great that our throats will choke with pride pride in the rocketeers of terra and now for your listening pleasure an excerpt from sword of fire and the rocketeers have shaggy ears
1: sword of fire a novel of enslaved planets by emmett mcdowell jupiter jones naked and helpless in the slime of that vile world cursed the space-warp that had flung him down among its groveling mutants. For their rising, excited whispers proclaimed him a knight in shining armor, their only hope against the terrible octopods who enslaved them. Chapter One The miser, a glittering needle with stubby, back-swept wings, hurtled out of deep space, and arced into orbital flight a thousand kilometers above the surface of the planet. The starship had approached from the night side. Now, as it decelerated rapidly, it flashed into the raw orange daylight of the planet's K-I-type sun and angled downward into the stratosphere. Inside the Miser's control blister, Jupiter-Jones lifted red-rimmed eyes to the fuel gauge. It showed only a few centigrams left, little more than enough to land. He swore under his breath, hunched lower over the controls, a long, loose-framed man with a shock of red hair and vivid green eyes. The olive uniform of the galactic colonization board was wrinkled, as if it had been slept in, and he had allowed his beard to grow. The bushy, orange-red mass of it hid his face almost to the eyes. He was alone in the ship. He'd been alone, operating the Miser single-handedly since Briggs, his co-pilot, had gone crazy and killed himself. It had been a damn inconsiderate thing for Briggs to do, Jones felt. Not that he could altogether blame the co-pilot. They had blundered into a space warp beyond Alpha Centaurus the miser had been flung into an uncharted region of the cosmos, hundreds, perhaps thousands of parsecs from Sol. Hopelessly lost, the chance of ever finding their way back to Earth had been slimmer than trying to locate one certain atom of oxygen in Earth's envelope of air. Briggs had cracked under the strain. When the co-pilot had failed to relieve him at the end of his watch, Jupiter Jones had switched the controls over to George, the robot pilot, and gone in search of him. He'd found Briggs dead in his bunk. An analysis of his stomach had revealed that he'd taken cyanide. There had been no note, nothing. He had recorded the tragedy in the log, along with a biting opinion of the psychiatric board for allowing a man with a flaw in his psychosis to be assigned to advanced exploration. Then he'd heave the body out the refuge port. Well, he was still lost, Jupiter Jones reflected savagely. Fortunately, though, he'd discovered this huge Ki type sun with its system of seven planets while he still had enough fuel to reach it. Spectroscopic observations had revealed that the second planet possessed an atmosphere high in oxygen and showed traces of water vapor. It was a small world, about the size of Mars and uncomfortably close to its flaming orange sun, but it had been his only bet. He glanced obliquely at the fuel gauge again, his lips thinned, and he dropped his eyes to the scanner. Immediately the surface seemed to bounce up at him, dense jungles, the sheen of an inland sea. The terrain flowed past like an immense relief map. Then he saw the city. It rose at the edge of the sea, all turrets and spires and battlements, like a walled medieval town. He caught a glimpse of quays with ships wrapped against them, of cultivated fields like a vast checkerboard. Then the miser had flashed past. The city seemed to dwindle and vanish, only the sparkle of orange sunlight on the spires lingering an instant longer. Jupiter Jones blew out his breath. His first reaction had been to swing the Miser around, but caution prevailed. He was too old a hand at galactic exploration to burst in unannounced on an alien culture. The terrain below had been growing progressively rougher. Just ahead, a range of mountains reared saw-edged peaks into the clouds. He nursed the Miser along until the gorges fell away beneath him like blue-green troughs. There was no sign of habitation anywhere. He braked and banked, spiraling lower and lower, dropping into a deep valley with a river cutting through it like a silver thread. At the last moment, he frantically buckled himself down and cut in George. Flames bellowed around the miser as the automatic landing jets burst into life. With a fierce, crackling roar, the starship sliced through the tangled vegetation and came to a rest a hundred meters from the river. Jupiter Jones threw off the safety straps, stood up, feeling a tingle of excitement take hold of him. He was down, the ship resting on the crust of a strange world, a world that might well be his home for the rest of his natural life. It was a dismaying thought. With gravity dragging at his feet once more, he moved to the transparent rind of the thermoplast blister and stared out. The landing jets had charred a huge swath in the vegetation, charred it to the finest ash, and baked the ground like brick, leaving a wall of jungle hemming the ship in. Nothing moved. He flicked on the outside amplifiers, but the silence was tomb-like. The thunder of his descent must have frightened off all the wildlife. He was conscious of a cumulative weariness like an ache. Experience had taught him the necessity of being fresh before venturing into an alien environment. He entered his landing in the log and switched on the electronic alarm. Let George keep watch, he thought. George's senses were keener than any human's, and George could be depended on. With a last glance at the dark mass of jungle, he climbed down the ladder to the cabin and flung himself into his bunk. He was awakened by the wild ringing of the alarm bell. Jupiter Jones sprang from his bunk. It seemed as if his head had barely touched the pillows, but as he yanked himself through the well to the control blister above, he saw that night had fallen. The bluish pallor of the riding lights illuminated the instruments. Through the skin of the blister he could see the black vault of the heavens sparkling with unfamiliar constellations, but that was all. The miser itself seemed to be lying in a veil of tar-like darkness. The clamor of the bells never abated. It drowned out any sound that might be coming through the amplifiers. He shut it off. As the ringing fell silent he could hear coughing grunts. The hair on the nap of his neck rose like the hackles of a dog, and he switched on the floodlights. Instantly, the burn blazed with a fierce white illumination. He caught a glimpse of a dozen startled figures at the edge of the jungle. They were human in shape, at least, tall, kilted men with long red hair and copper-colored features. Blinded by the light, they stood in postures of frozen surprise. Staring out from the darkened blister, Jupiter Jones thought he'd never seen such feral savagery as reflected in their expressions. Like, like, mad wolves. They were armed with bows, swords dangled from harnesses over their backs. Two of them carried a litter. A frown clouded Jupiter's face. The litter bears belonged to a different race. They were squat, naked, powerful brutes. Their slick hides tinged a greenish cast. But it wasn't altogether that. The pair had a passive, resigned look, like oxen. Like the beast of burden they appeared to be, he thought. Probably a slave race. Then his whole attention was focused on the fantastic creature in the litter. It was no bigger than a large monkey. Eight spidery arms sprouted from its grotesque body, which was covered with a glittering purple shell like a huge mollusk. Jupiter Jones noticed these details almost before the creatures recovered from their surprise at the blinding light. His first impression of the purple shelled octopod in the litter had been that it must be a captive. Then the octopod raised a silver tube to an orifice in its head and blew a single piercing note. The two slate-green porters wheeled and bore the thing off into the jungle. The half-dozen naked, copper-skinned warriors followed hard on their heels for all the world like a pack of foxhounds. He wiped the sweat from his forehead. Lord, he thought, what was that thing? Could it have been the dominant life-form? He switched on the floodlights and reset the alarm. His first exultation at finding a habitable and inhabited world had begun to give way to a gnawing distrust. Suddenly the darkness appeared malignant, concealing hosts of savage brute men, unguessable horrors. There was the feeling of movement out there. He heard something grunt and thrash in the underbrush, followed by a squealing noise like a stuck pig. He shivered, glancing at the photoelectric chronometer. The sun had set at nine hours Earth time, he saw. It was fifteen o'clock now. He had ascertained the rotation of the planet while still out in space, and knew it wouldn't be light for three hours yet. He set himself to the task that had occupied him during every leisure moment since the warp had hurled the miser beyond the known regions of space charting the stars in an effort to locate himself. But he couldn't concentrate. He kept listening subconsciously for any untoward sound of the world outside. His real name was Jones RV860-09H34271. The Jupiter had been pinned on because he had been marooned once on that planet for three months and had lived to tell about it. There were two things which Jupiter especially didn't like. He didn't like men, and he didn't like women. He prided himself on being self-sufficient and tough, and he was tough, morally tough, and physically and intellectually tough. He had grown up in the stews of Venusport, fending for himself since the age of nine. Because he'd never seen the stars, he had one consuming ambition— to go to space. He had studied, worked, and fought his way through the Galactic Colonization Board's Institute of Technology. The Institute was a hard school. The men of the advanced exploratory units, the special corpsmen, had to be well versed in all sciences from astrophysics to zoomorphology. No one had believed that Jupiter could make it. Briggs, who had been an upperclassman, had ridden him unmercifully all of which had merely crystallized his determination. In the end, he'd graduated with top honors. It was the same sort of determination that sustained him at this moment. Jupiter had long since reached the dismaying conclusion that the miser had been swept entirely beyond the local system, even beyond any of the adjacent star clusters. That was the final straw that had caused Briggs to crack. At the thought of Briggs, Jupiter Jones spat into the waste chute and arranged his length frame before the powerful electronic telescope, with which all the ships of advanced exploration were equipped. But he didn't use it right away. Instead, he gazed upward at the star-encrusted heavens. The Milky Way, he saw, began down near the horizon, though it climbed less than a third of the way up into the sky. The rest of that tremendous path was blocked out by an inky blackness. He tugged at his beard. There was something familiar about that black pall, and he turned to the star charts again. Sure enough, the rift, a dark nebula, split the Milky Way from the constellations of Centaurus to Cygnus. He must be very close to it, perhaps within a few light years, for it to blot out so much of the super-galaxy. But was it the same one? There were hundreds of these dark nebulae. And even if it was, on the other side of it, was he in relation to Earth?" His elation slowly ebbed. Pulling out his notes, he recommenced the endless task of mapping the universe. He kept hard at it until the giant orange sun had suffused the sky with saffron light blotting out the stars. The MISER was only one of such units probing the local star system in search of habitable worlds. Their role in the long galactic colonization plan was to make a superficial examination, vegetation, atmosphere, dominant life form, if any, and report their findings. Later, depending on the reports of these advanced units, the real exploration by staff specialists commenced. Though Jupiter was sure the planet was too many light-years off ever to be colonized, he entered the composition of the air in the log from the force of habit. He broke out the emergency pack and selected a semi-automatic carbine from the miser's arsenal. He added an electroscope, Geiger counter, ultraviolet ray lamp, and prospecting tools to the load. If he were to ever lift the miser from the surface again, he must find the deposit of uranium or thorium-bearing minerals. Then he shaved off his great red beard, revealing a hard face, bold-featured, with a wide, thin-lipped mouth. He slung the load to his shoulders and opened the main port. A strong saffron sunlight beat into his eyes as he let himself to the ground. He stood still a moment feeling the dirt press against the soles of his feet, examining the blank, hostile wall of jungle and tasting the moist, warm air. Bird-like creatures flitted through the foliage. The vegetation looked mosaic with its great pulpy stems and fern-like fronds. One of the bird-things sailed overhead. It was apple-green and appeared as if it might be some freakish symbiose of plant and animal. Darien Briggs, he thought for the hundredth time. It was suicidal to attempt the exploration of a strange world alone.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Sword of Fire and the Rocketeers Have Shaggy Ears. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.